0: Morning, everybody. Let's get up. Here we go. Let's sing this out. Here we go. So I was buried beneath my shame. And who could carry that kind of weight? pray to our father in heaven this morning. God, thank you that um, you bring us to a place. You call us to come back to this building, to find you, to seek you, to reach after you, to be comforted by you, to offer our prayers. And um, God, uh, we pray that uh, you accept our worship first and foremost before we come asking for anything. Uh, May we be a people uh, continually at Hopevale that come to gather to say, God, you've been good to us, not just because of my circumstances, but because of who you are and what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. So help us to focus our eyes on that this morning and our circumstances become kind of secondary and tertiary. So, uh, God, we lift you. We exalt you. Uh, we ask Lord that you would come and just meet us here in a powerful way today, an unmistakable way. as we worship you and call out to you. So, um, God, we, that you would be honored at this campus and at our Bay City campus uh, and all the Capital C Church that gathers all over the globe to honor you today, uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends. Hey, before you have a seat, say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thank you.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to Hopeville. So good to be worshiping with you this morning. My name is Ashley Swartz. I am a leader with our young adult group here called Aftershock. If you are between the ages of 21 and 35 and would like to get involved, we'd love to have you come join us. We meet here every Tuesday night at seven in the venue. If you have other questions, please see one of the desks in the lobby or hopebill.org. And if you are new or visiting with us this morning, welcome, we are glad you are here. And as we transition into a time of offering, we like to ask the ushers to come forward. This is a time for us to obediently give back to God a portion of what he has graciously given to us. Let's pray over that this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us servant hearts to serve you, to serve each other, our church, and our community. Thank you for your word and that we are able to hear from it this morning through Pastor Dan. Thank you for each person that is here and you have chosen us to be here this morning for a reason. We pray that the Holy Spirit will move in each one of our hearts in a personal way. We lift up this offering to you. Pray that is used to glorify you and to further your kingdom. We love you so much in your name. Amen.
0: amen. Thanks, Ashley. Hey, um, my name is Billy. I'm the worship pastor here at Hope Vale. If you're new with us, if you don't know, uh, you'll start to get to know more and more of the people who lead here and enjoy being part of the body here at Hopevale. Hey, so um, this uh, next set, this uh, what we're going to do, we're going to sing uh, Jesus, We Love You. Uh, it's a song. It's a great one. It's just really about our gratefulness. And uh, we thought, you know what? Today's a good day just to come in grateful, come in thanking God for all that he's done. And you heard it when I prayed this morning. I pray, God, that you would um, just hear from our heart, our, our grateful heart, before we ask for anything. So... Let's just be grateful. There's gratefulness is contagious. It's a, it's this phenomenal thing that happens when, when we express gratitude. It changes our attitude. Somebody write that down and send me a T-shirt. That's very funny. Hey, uh, let's let's keep let's continue our our worship time together today, and um, that God would be pleased with our attitude of gratitude. All things have passed away, Your love has stayed the same, Your constant grace
2: remains Sweet love. I
0: In these moments in worship, uh, we um, can feel so unworthy when we know it is uh, who it is that we approach. We just sang about um, these unworthy eyes. And um, yet, God, you tell us we're worthy. We don't get it. I think for the rest of my days, I'm kind of going to be stumped by that. I don't know why you love wretches like us and saved wretches like us. But Lord, we're certainly thankful for your grace. So grateful. God, thank you for still moments like this in worship today moments in our lives where we could come and just be before you and sing your praises and our hallelujahs, our praise the Lord's, our thank you God's, our thank you God for walking with us in our journeys. Teach us what it means like, what it means to be more like you God and more like your son, the one who came to serve all and not be served. So we love you God and it's this worship and this attention that we give. In Jesus' name, we all pray and say, amen. God bless you guys. Have a seat.
3: Good morning everyone. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here at Hopeville. Great to have you with us today. I want to welcome those of you worshiping with us in Bay City as well. Uh, so good you're on board. Hey, believe it or not, uh, Easter is just three weeks away. Three weeks away. This year Easter falls on Sunday, April 1st. And this is going to be the first year that we'll have Easter services on two campuses. So here in Saginaw, we'll have services on Easter Sunday at 8 a.m., 9.30, 11, and 12.30. And in Bay City, we'll have an Easter service at our normal time there at 10.30. So uh, I just want to encourage you not only to make plans to attend, but invite someone. Invite someone who doesn't already have a church home. You would be surprised at how open and receptive people are to a personal invitation, really, especially at this time of year. And so as we prepare for Easter, let's pray that God would, you know, soften our hearts, prepare us for that time as we gather together and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Today, we are wrapping up a series that we began last month entitled DNA. DNA, where we've been looking at our five defining values as a church and really what makes Hope hope These are the values that help shape things like how we conduct ourselves, how we treat others, how we function as a church family, and how we relate to those outside the four walls of our church. And as I said in the opening message, the, the timing for this series really is perfect as we've now become one church in two locations. So by talking about these values, by looking at their scriptural roots, we're able to reinforce just some key Foundations that we want to be true of us. So whether it's, you know, a location issue, a size issue, a newness issue, or any other factor you can think of, these are the values that we hold dear here at Hope L. So one more time, let's go through the list. Here we go, our, our five defining values that, that make up our DNA. Focused faith, authentic love, mutual respect, shared ministry, and servant leadership. Week one, we saw that focused faith, I'm popping a little bit here, aren't I? It? it means that we want to keep the main thing the main thing, right? We don't want secondary issues to distract us from what matters most. No, we want to pursue unity as a church. Not necessarily, no, not uniformity, but unity, so that we are together on the essentials while at the same time we're able to love each other through our differences. And then the second week, we, we talked about authentic love, which means we practice what we preach and put feet into our faith, that we don't just want to talk the talk, we also want to walk the walk. See, and it's the love of Jesus that empowers us to both pursue authenticity and to break free from hypocrisy. Words matter, they really do, but words are not enough. As we're commanded in 1 John chapter 4, we are called to love others with our actions and in truth. And then in the third week, we looked at the value of mutual respect. Mutual respect based off the golden rule, which means we want to live out the golden rule by treating others the way we want them to treat us. And here too, the gospel delivers us from a spirit of revenge and retaliation, and instead we're able to rise above our own selfishness and think about the needs of others and so mutual respect leads us to these radical actions like forgiving apologizing listening withholding judgment and as i've said from up front before it allows us to believe the best in others as our starting point instead of always automatically assuming the worst mutual respect and then last week we talked about the value of shared ministry. Shared ministry, which means we want everybody doing something rather than some people doing everything. Like I talked about last week, that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit within us, we all now have equal access to worship God and we have equal potential to serve God. So it's not like the pastors are up here and everyone else is down here. No, every one of us and the body of Christ is, fa- is called to find our place and to use our gifts, to make our unique contribution in this church so that together we can make a difference in this world. Now, I love the fact that so many of you already get this. You really do. You give up your time. You give up your talents. You give up your treasures to help us carry the hope of Jesus to a world in need. I also love that many of you responded last week by filling out an involvement card. And some of you talked to a ministry leader. Great responses. You know, if you didn't uh, respond last week or you weren't here last week, it's not too late. We've got more of these involvement cards out in our lobbies at both campuses. We've got people there that you can talk with about finding, about, uh, finding out how you can get involved. Shared ministry to be the kind of church where everybody's doing something rather than just some people doing something. Everything. So this week then, as we explore our fifth and final value, I want to begin by talking about something even deeper than that. One of our fundamental basic needs as people. And that is the need to feel significant. The need to feel significant. The need to feel like we matter. That our lives have value. That they actually count for something and that we're not just drifting along, carried by this current where we have no meaning or purpose to our lives. Now, I've heard some Christians question and even criticize this need for significance, saying it's too self-centered, too self-focused, that it reeks of pop psychology and secular philosophy. Well, I disagree with that. I do, because our very nature as human beings who are created in the image of God, that inherently makes us significant to God. It does. You are significant to God. You matter to Him. I think of these wonderful and worshipful words from King David in Psalm 8 when he writes this, when I consider your heavens, Lord, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Do you, do you hear the, the, the wonder and the awe in those words? You have made them a little lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor. Now picture David out on a starry night. He's under this wide open, pitch black Middle Eastern sky, he's looking up to the heavens and he's overwhelmed by the bigness and the vastness of God. And he tells the Lord, how is it that someone like me, so small, so insignificant, how is it that I matter to you? How is it that I have a special place in your thoughts and on your heart? Because when I actually try to come to grips with that, it blows me away. God, it blows me away. See, here's the thing about our need for significance. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of what or who. What do we look to or to whom do we look to find our significance, to tell us that we matter? See, that's why a Bible passage is so crucial, because what's true about David, and I'm talking about David not because he's a king, but simply because he's a man, that what's true about him is also true about us. So for some of you here who feel neglected, you feel forgotten, you feel meaningless, you feel your life is insignificant, you need to know that the God who is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything in this world and in this universe, that you are in his thoughts, that you are on his heart today. You are. And God not only proclaims this message throughout all his creation, but he has also proven that message by sending us his son, Jesus to die on the cross in our place for our sins. So that what? So that we can have peace. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace with ourselves. You matter to God, you really do, and all the significance your heart is longing for is found in Him. It really is. So look to God and worship and always trust. Always trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And so I want you to hold on to this whole conversation about our need for significance because it serves as the backdrop for the main Bible passage we're going to look at today. Now, this passage is found in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is one of the four biographical books in the Bible that tell us about the life of Jesus. And the story we're going to look at involves Jesus and his 12 disciples, Now, during the three plus years of Jesus's ministry, he had many followers, but these 12 were his closest ones. He spent more time with them than all his other followers because he was training them to eventually take over for him when he would leave them and spreading the good news he came to bring. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus's 12 disciples, you'll know this, that uh, the training, it took a lot of time. It tried a lot of his patience. Lessons that seem obvious to us weren't so to them. That's why they didn't get it the first time, the second time, or even the third time. And while it's easy for us to be so critical of them 2,000 years later, we need to cut them some slack. Why? Because the ways of God's kingdom that Jesus came to bring and establish, they're so different than the ways of the kingdom of this world. And the story that we're going to look at today is a great example of that. So let's go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. We'll pick up the story with verse 35. It says this, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, and they said this, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, of the 12 disciples, James and John, along with Peter, were the three closest to Jesus. They were, Peter, James, and John. And this closeness is something that had been developed over the time that Jesus spent with them. So by the time you get to year three, which is when this is taking place, James and John feel like they have the right to make such a bold request of Jesus. Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, "Let, uh, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. In your glory. What? The glory of what? Well, for years, James and John, they've been hearing Jesus teach about this coming kingdom of God. They sense its arrival is just around the corner, and so they're asking Jesus, hey, can you make us your right and left-hand guys? Can you give us the number one, number two position in your cabinet, right? It's like two campaign workers, you know, on an upcoming presidential election asking the nominee, hey, what about me for vice president? What about me for secretary of state, right? we put in the work, we've proven our loyalty, and now it's time to collect our reward. In other words, we want to feel significant if you can give us these positions of importance, right? Let us sit at your right and left in glory. From the outside looking in, it looks awfully greedy, doesn't it? But you know what? We'd probably do the same thing. We'd say it's not a matter of greed, it's a matter of politics, Right? That they were there for them with Jesus in the beginning, and now they want the payoff, right? So what's Jesus going to tell them? Verse 38, well, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus tells them. You still don't get it. I didn't come to be a political Messiah who's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. No, I came as a spiritual Messiah who's about to establish a kingdom that's going to last forever forever. That's the plan, but before that happens, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die, and I don't think you're ready to handle that. See, that's what Jesus means when he says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. He's referring back to imagery from the Old Testament that talks about the cup of wrath, talks about a baptism or an identification with suffering. And in the case of Jesus, it's the intense suffering he's about to face with the shadow of Of the cross looming nearby. See, they think it's all going to be fun and games, parades, coronations. But what Jesus knows is it's going to be far different than that. Back to verse 39. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. You will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. In other words, It's not my job, it's my heavenly father's job to hand out the assignments in the kingdom, right? But back to verse 39, when Jesus says about James and John is true, but also at this point, it's way over their heads. See, Jesus knew that a cruel earthly fate awaited them awaited them as well as many other of Jesus's followers. And history tells us that, that James actually became the first among the apostles to be martyred for his faith, and that John uh, underwent severe persecution as well, and was eventually set into permanent exile. But that's way down, for the, uh, down the road for them, right? It's certainly well beyond what they can understand right now in the present. And so after this interaction, right, this Weird interchange, things take this interesting turn. Verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, right? When the other ten disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, there's a word for you, right? Indignant, outraged, riled up, ticked off, and a whole lot of, lot of other words I can't say in church, right? I mean, they're mad. They're furious that James and John would try to pull off a stunt like this, right? So much for unity, so much for oneness, so much for we're all in this together. No, they're steamed right now. And I've always wondered, you know, were, were they mad at James and John themselves or were they mad at their own lives, right? Like, God, why didn't we think of that first, right? Why didn't we beat Jesus, James and John to the punch and talking to Jesus and putting in our requests, right? And knowing human nature, it's probably a mixture of both, right? So you can imagine Jesus at this point rubbing his temples, shaking his head over how clueless they were and how childish they're acting. So before things totally go off the rails, he steps in. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them? Guys, you know what those Roman officials are like, right? You know how those in power act so self-important, how they totally abuse their positions of authority to get their own way at the expense of others. You see that, right? Is that what you want? Is that what you think this is all about? Is that what you think I'm all about, Jesus says? Really? Really? Verse 43, here's the punchline. Pay attention. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you. In my mind, these are the four most important words Jesus ever spoke about leadership. Not so with you. Whatever you see modeled in the world around you, whether it's the corporate boardrooms of America, the trading floor of Wall Street, the halls of Congress, or even the offices of the local municipality or business, whatever gamesmanship and power plays that go on there, you need to do the opposite. Not so with you. What does the opposite look like? Jesus said instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Now talk about taking everything we know about leadership, authority, importance, significance, taking that and turning it upside down. That's what Jesus did. That's what his kingdom is all about. And you know what I find interesting about Jesus' words here? That if you read carefully, you'll see that he is not against us wanting to be great. Did you pick that up? He's not against us wanting to be great. Now, you got to admit that sounds rather braggy, right? Conceited to say something like that. Like if you went around and just told people, I want to be great, you know, I want to be great. My goal in life is to become great. I mean, it sounds like the legendary boxer Muhammad Ali, right? What did he always say? I am the greatest, he would say. And it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And so Jesus isn't certainly telling people, and that we need to go around and, you know, say that to others. But he's also not discouraging his disciples. He's not discouraging us against pursuing greatness. You see, the issue isn't the concept of greatness itself, but rather, it's how we define greatness. Right? That's what this passage is about. It's how we define greatness. So go ahead and pursue greatness, Jesus tells them. But as you do, here's what it looks like. You want to become great? You should want to be great. And so whoever wants to become great... Among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. In other words, it's not a race to the top, it's a race to the bottom. Are you, am I, willing to serve other people, especially in positions of leadership? See, that's what Jesus taught about greatness. But see, he didn't just teach it, he also lived it out. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man, so this is Jesus speaking about himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Like, that's the model, right? If, if you're a leader, it's all about people serving you. Hey, get my coffee. Hey, get my laundry. Hey, bring me my memos. Hey, set up my trot, right? Just all that, snap the finger, you know, serve at my beck and call. Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. Now, we got to remember the context, right? This is before the crucifixion. And so these words of Jesus are foreshadowing his eventual crucifixion, where he what? What happens there? He gives his life as a ransom for many. He dies in our place as the satisfactory payment for all our sins. That's why Jesus is both our savior and our role model. As a matter of fact, he's our ultimate role model for our essential value number two of authentic love, right? Because Jesus practiced what he preached. Jesus put feet to his faith. He didn't just talk the talk about kingdom greatness. He also walked the walk throughout his earthly life. And that walk eventually led him to the cross of Calvary. Not so with you, Jesus tells us. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is how you define greatness. And so here it is, the fifth of our five essential values here at Hopewell. Servant leadership. And servant leadership means this that leaders are called to pursue kingdom greatness through humility by serving others and not themselves. Leaders are called to pursue kingdom greatness through humility by serving others and not themselves, just like Jesus. So here at Hopewell, we want our leaders to be not-so-with-you kind of leaders. Not-so-with-you. That goes for our staff, that goes for our elders, that goes for key volunteer leaders in all areas of ministry, and it also goes for me. No one is exempt from the example that our Savior gives us. Now, let's be clear. Servant leadership isn't doormat leadership. Servant leadership doesn't mean that you govern by popular opinion. It doesn't mean that you always give in to the most vocal critics either. No, servant leadership, as Jesus modeled it, simply means this. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me, that if God has entrusted you with a position of authority and influence over others, then we're to use that position to fulfill our calling, not to find our significance. Can I say that again? See, the heart of servant leadership is about fulfilling a calling, not finding our significance. So Jesus led his disciples because that's what his heavenly father wanted him to do. But James and John, why did they want to be in charge? Because they thought it would make them feel important. They thought it would bring them the significance they were looking for. And that's why Jesus had to teach a different way, a better way, a kingdom way. And so whether it's here in the church, whether it's out in the marketplace, or whether it's right in your own home, be a leader that serves other people. Serves, that puts their interests ahead of your own, just like we saw a couple weeks ago in Philippians chapter 2. Now, I got to tell you that as the one standing up front teaching about this, this excites me to no end. Because when you get a church full of servant leaders who say, I want to do it Jesus' way, then watch out. Watch out, because that's when the love of Christ gets unleashed into the world around us. It really does. But you know what? This stuff also scares me to death. It does, because I know me, Right? I know that I am a sinner saved by the grace of God who is still a work in progress. So on my best best days, I really do want to follow Jesus as my example. But on my less than best days, I can really be a jerk and I can really make it about me, right? I can at the risk of sounding judgmental. The same is true of you as well. It really is because on this side of heaven, none of us are going to get it right every single time. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our church. And then we need to prioritize this essential value of servant leadership, where leaders pursue kingdom greatness through humility by serving others and not themselves, just like Jesus. And so, as we begin to wind down, I want to leave you with some practical principles for what servant leadership means for our church collectively, but also for you individually. And so as I think about servant leadership, here's the first one. Abuse of authority is wrong, but authority itself is not. Abuse of authority is wrong, but authority itself is not. Um, I wanted to start with this one because I know it's easy to want to reject leadership and authority altogether when you've been burned in the past. I get that. I really do. And I think every single person in this room has some kind of negative experience when it comes to being under someone else's leadership. And depending on the situation and the severity of it, the wounds can run pretty deep. And so whether it's the Larry Nassar mass at Michigan State or it's the recent local church scandal in our own community. There really are those who abuse their positions of authority, who cause serious harm to others and break the trust that was given to them. And so you need to know I'm totally on your side when it comes to situations like those, right? Okay? There's no room for something like that. But we need to understand that authority in and of itself is not a dirty word. It's not, no, authority is something that God created, it's His idea. In the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, mankind, we were given authority and responsibility to rule over the rest of the creation. Actually, before time began and eternity passed, loving and perfect authority existed among the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself, throughout his earthly life, he regularly spoke about how he was under the authority of his Heavenly Father. So let's not write off authority and leadership altogether, but... We definitely need to be vigilant to call out abusive leadership when we see it. Which leads me then to the second point. Servant leadership invites accountability. Servant leadership invites accountability. Whether it's here in the church or with any other organization or institution, leaders need to be held accountable for their actions. Accountable for their actions. And when I say that, I'm not so much thinking about performance issues, but rather... Morality issues, character issues, integrity issues. The old saying is true that absolute power corrupts absolutely, or at least it has the potential to do so when it's left unchecked. That's why here at Hopewell, there's no one person in charge, right? No, in terms of our governance, in terms of our accountability structures, our church is congregationally ruled, elder-led, and staff-directed. Congregationally ruled, elder led, and staff directed, which means that for me and the rest of our staff, we're accountable to our elders, and then the elders in turn are accountable to the church. Now, accountability doesn't mean micromanaged, but it does mean that we need to be open to valid criticism and loving correction. I gotta tell you, it's not always fun to be on the receiving end of that, but it certainly is necessary. And so if there's something out there that doesn't seem right to you, if you see something, then say something, right? On behalf of the elders, we invite you to speak up, especially when it comes on moral matters. Don't rush to judgment. Don't rush to judgment on every little thing. Now, the Bible lays out clear steps on how we can do this well, right? That we're first to go directly to the person involved and talk to them about it. And then we're to bring someone else along, and have that same conversation if they don't respond well the first time, right? Whatever the case is, all of us, who are leaders in some capacity or another, we need to be both approachable and above reproach. Let me give you one other piece of advice, right, that if you're ever part of a church, an organization, a company, or any kind of institution where you can never ask questions, where leaders punish you and shame you if you try to bring something out, then you need to get out. You really do. I'm not talking about fleeing at the first sign of trouble or discomfort, because you're always gonna have that when people are involved, but if a repeater, repeated pattern develops over time, where leaders are harsh, abusive, authoritarian, then for your own sanity, you just, deme- you just need to move on, right? You really do, because a toxic environment like that is only gonna do you harm. It really will. All leaders need accountability and servant leaders actually invite it, right? And then third, servant leaders need supportive followers. Servant leaders need supportive followers. Now as a leader in the church here and standing up front, it's a little weird for me to talk about this one because it's kind of like, hey guys, you know, we need supportive followers, right? You know, I mean, it's just, it just feels a little self-serving, right? But, I feel like I needed to touch on this one because the Bible brings it up. You know, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, a leader in the early Christian church who had oversight over multiple local congregations, he, he wrote this to the people who were part of those churches. And this is what he says, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Interesting passage. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Who do you think those leaders have to give an account to? God. Everyone's accountable. Spiritual leaders, church leaders are ultimately accountable to God. So do this, right? That their work will be a joy, not a burden, because that would be of no benefit to you. I mean, this is good church advice. It really is. And I'd say that whether I was standing up here on stage or sitting down there with you. Because here's the thing, being a leader can be hard really hard, and so for the church to thrive, guess what? It needs both good leaders and good followers. Again, I'm not talking about blind loyalty, right? I'm not talking about you can never ask any questions. I'm talking about leaders who serve and followers who support. Supportive with their prayers, supportive with their words, supported with their attitudes, supported with their involvement. I mean, think about it. In this culture of outrage that we live in today, wouldn't it be great The church could be known as a place of unity and peace and harmony. Because everyone, whether they're a leader or not, we're that way because we're following the example of Jesus and we're following the instruction of Scripture. Servant leaders need supportive followers. And those are just three principles, right, of servant leadership. There's so much more I'd love to say to you on this, but as we close today, I want to go back I wanna go back to Jesus and one more example that he leaves us as our role model. It's found in the Gospel of John chapter 13. This is even later in his life than the previous passage we looked at. As a matter of fact, this is taking place the night before his crucifixion. John chapter 13, beginning in verse one. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, the Passover meal, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, and this is important, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus is about to do something remarkable, but the reason he's able to do something remarkable is he knew who he was with his father, and he knew that his significance was found in that relationship. Jesus knew, verse 4, so that he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water, you can just picture this, into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drawing them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, the leader, takes on the role of a common house servant, and he serves his disciples by carrying out the most menial and degrading of tasks. He washes the dirty, dust-caked feet of each one of his disciples, all of them. Everything that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples during the James and John incident we saw earlier, he's now modeling for them as he puts the greatness of his humility into action. Peter initially protests, he can't wrap his mind around his leader, his Lord, his rabbi, actually performing such a lowly act of service. They talk about it some, Peter eventually gives in, he lets Jesus wash his feet, and after all that, verse 12, when he, Jesus, had finished washing their feet, He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, verse 14, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Look at this. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That wasn't just a show, that was a teaching moment. That was an example for you to follow. Verse 16, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Look at this, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That the way of Jesus is a way of blessing. That the way of Jesus is a way of life. And so whether you're a leader in this church, in your workplace, on your team, at your home, in your school, wherever it might be, pursue kingdom greatness. Pursue kingdom greatness through humility by serving others and not yourself, just like Jesus. Find your significance in your relationship with God, then, right, then carry out whatever leadership role God has entrusted to you by following in the footsteps of your Savior and your Lord. Now that you know these things, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're worthy of our worship. There is a beauty. There is a strength. There is an attraction to hear your words and to watch you in action. We see the example you've set for us. And we want the blessing of following in your footsteps, to reject the patterns of the kingdom of this world, to hear your words not so with you, and to pursue kingdom greatness through humility by serving others and not ourselves, just like you did. That leadership was never meant to be a place to find our significance. No, that's left in our relationship with you and so root us in the joy of your grace, your, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And then lead us. Lead us to serve others. Whatever role we may have, God, we pray that for everyone here. We pray that for our church. We pray that for me, for everyone who's called to lead at Hope Bell. Because God, your ways are the ways that lead to life, that lead to blessing, are the ways that lead to your glory and your honor forever and ever and ever. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand in worship before we leave. Of life, men and women, boys and girls, single, married, widowed, divorced, different ages, different stages of life. But one common prayer that we can all pray is, Lord, I'm gonna go wherever you lead me. Where you lead, I will follow. Because as we were singing that song, I thought, you know the people who make the greatest impact in this world for God? It's not so much about ability as it is availability. that's our heart. That's our prayer for you. Prayer for us, that we would just be available to the Lord's loving leadership in our lives. Next week, we're going to begin a new series called Hope for Everyone. It's our Easter series. Looking forward to that. But as you go from here, may the Lord give you the kind of heart that will follow wherever He leads you in life. God bless you.